Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. Today we have an announcement. We are introducing our new editor-at-large for design and communication here at Scandinavian Mind. Elenia Martini, founder of the visual communications agency Neni, will from now on cover design stories for Scandinavian Mind and help us host clubhouse talks on design, innovation, sustainability and other topics. In this podcast conversation, Elenia talks about greenwashing in the design community, why furniture companies need to work together to make everyone in the industry thrive, what the European design scene can learn from the American, and how an NFT was the most expensive furniture deal ever. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility or tech. And every Friday we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and clubhouse sessions visit scandinavianmind.com slash newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Ilenia Martini. Enjoy. So I'm here with Elenia Martini, founder of the visual communications agency Neni, and the new editor-at-large for design and communications here at Scandinavian Mind. Welcome, Elenia. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I, I don't think the world word welcome has been more fitting for a podcast uh, of recent. So I'm, I'm really happy we have started working together. And I'll just start, I think we should start right off the bat with some of the you know, give a little sneak peek in, into the, the, the dialogues and, 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 and talks we've been having together and how, how we started talking. And that is really sort of the need for um, conversation within the world of, of design and the furniture industry. I thought this has been super uh, interesting and, and rewarding, but I want to ask you to sort of frame this issue for me a little bit. How do you, how do you why do you think this is so important and, and why do we think we need more conversation? Yeah, I, I think that what last year and this year have kind of like exposed more than ever is this kind of need to have these open conversations that don't happen only, you know, when you meet other designers or people in the industry outside uh, during dinners and whatnot. So there's this kind of uh, gap that is created between the different people in the industry. Then now more than ever, it's absolutely crucial to 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 merge. Uh, so mm. I I don't see this just uh, on social media, but working directly with clients, there is this need to talk uh, amongst the people in the design industry. Do you think the design industry has? Um, is there like a lack of transparency in the design industry? Absolutely. This year, if we look at what has been communicated by design brands, is that everything went well, 
uh, that, uh, you know, uh, it's always kind of like, you know, fake it until you make it kind of approach mm. where on surface everything is uh, working perfectly. And the ones that were brave enough to say, hey, look, we lost, uh, I don't know, uh, five to 10% uh, revenue compared to last year, as opposed to maybe others that saw the potential of selling maybe like office furniture for the home uh, have uh, yeah let's say have not really been transparent um, and I don't mean it in a critical way that we should all be you know washing our dirty clothes out in the open uh, I mean it more in a constructive way that perhaps by being open about the challenges that we're all facing we could come come up with solutions together rather than be very individualistic and you know think for ourselves and that's it because the industry is very small as opposed to you know tech fashion and uh, and others so uh, that kind of uh, I, I I don't dare to call it collaboration but that openness it's it's really important right now do you think that's part of it though I mean uh, you're mentioning how the 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 size of the industry uh, obviously and and does that matter in terms of you know there's less scrutiny from industry media or even sort of the the business press and and so forth that it is kind of its own little bubble how do you see it Absolutely. That is a one very big part of the whole thing. And also, I think um, because there is the kind of like tendency of uh, people really circulate a lot within the same industry. So whether you like it or not, the CEO from company A ends up being CEO of company X. Um, so there is also that kind of protectiveness that comes from uh, circulating uh, the industry. So. Uh, it's that and uh, also perhaps the lack of being a little bit uh, straightforward so mm. without uh, you know your own opinions to put into it or uh, your own agenda uh, the yeah the, this kind of like lack of being impartial so let's talk about this word constructive that you just mentioned. I'm, I'm curious, what do you see, uh, you know, the, what are the positive outcomes of, of being more open and, and transparent? What can be achieved? I think uh, there's a lot to gain by uh, constructively talking um, amongst people of the same industry. Um, and like one of the, the big uh, gains could actually be to find solutions together, um, mm. not just technical ones when it comes to production, because everybody is like very protective of that. But when it comes to how we communicate, when we communicate, like if we just look at one simple example of design weeks, um, they're very specific uh, uh, time span. But what happens is that the first two, three days, all brands come up with events all at the same time uh, and you know you're kind of like going five minutes to one and then rushing to the next and what what has started happening in Italy is that the Milan weeks usually starts on Monday but brands have started uh, you know counting backwards so starting their events the Friday before Saturday and Sunday leading right. up to the design week so that they don't overlap with each other. So I feel like if we somehow started communicating with each other, we could say, look, 
this is not what we're gonna do because nobody has set the rules. Uh, we can kind of set the rules ourselves. Uh, and that is like, in my opinion, a very big benefit. Um, and also if we talk about, uh, you know, the social media aspect, influencer collaborations, uh, why not share the information and say, hey, you worked with this influencer. What, what was that collaboration like? Um, did you have a good positive reaction instead of just blandly going, uh, you know, into the dark and being like, okay, let's see how that goes. Um, so those kind of, or even working with designers, mm. what are their fees? How much have they charged you? Uh, is what they're charging because designers talk amongst themselves, at least, uh, you know, the ones who are friendly also outside of uh, media. Um, they kind of like ask themselves, how was it working with that brand and how much uh, did you charge? Were you paid on time? Were you royalties versus, you know, design fee or both? Um, so all of those things happen. That's interesting. I mean, in our previous conversation, we've talked about this phenomenon that that uh, sort of design and furniture industry is. I think it's different to than than fashion in a way because fashion is so much more fast paced. Uh, but you always mentioned to me this this um, you know need for doing it sort of from the inside and out and and you know bring people more into it. Whereas where we are right now is that you know furniture brands they they go about their ways and they are sort of a manufacturing uh, um, companies and you know you know once or twice a year they, they come out of hiding and they do these sort of design weeks which is all about uh, you know uh, you know or at least previously all about you know mingling and presenting product at fairs in a very sort of a, um, a controlled uh, setting in a way. Um, you mentioned social media. So, how do you what what when you when you look at how the design brands uh, work on social media? Uh, what, what can they do better? And and, and you know what do, what did they do well? But what can they do better? You know, I I I think that fashion is two and design is still trying to get to one This is how I feel a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> so, uh, it's kind of like yeah, it's a very slow industry. And the push has always been the design weeks. What are we mm. going to launch in April for Milan or, you know, January Cologne or February in Stockholm? Those were the big pushes. But when it came mm. to like uh, digital communication, I feel like brands have that kind of resistance on they don't quite grasp uh, where the consumer attention is and they kind of rely on the physical part of it so they think okay design needs to be um, needs to have a tactile experience therefore we rely on the design weeks everything else is a plus but with the years the gap between the ones who embraced the uh, new media and the ones that were still you know uh, parties and fairs started like becoming bigger and bigger uh, but the biggest struggle is that the ones who dared to do uh, something else went on board with Instagram and became, you know, they started doing IGTVs and uh, videos mm. with designer interviews and things like that. But now they also have to improve and innovate because those videos are very tiring. Nobody has that kind of 
uh, attention spam anymore. Unless you really love that designer and then you want to know everything about them. Uh, but the innovation still needs to be there. Like, I'm mind blown that still nobody, no design brand is on Clubhouse. And I'm like mind blown that, uh, you know, the maximum of this has been IGTVs or, you know, the Tom Dixon hologram uh, during the design week. Uh, it really, it really misses to see where is the, the audience. Now we're getting into it. I, I'm, I'm so excited. I have so many thoughts. Uh, and and I, I, before I go on, it should be mentioned that you know I think we both do have this conversation out of love for this industry, and we've both worked in it for a long time. And 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 uh, there, there's a great uh, a community that we really care about. But uh, having said that, there are a few things that I've observed um, the last uh, let's say a couple of years. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned that fashion is 2.0 and, and uh, you know, design is struggling to be 1.0. You know, I've had conversations with uh, furniture brands that have actually said to me, um, yeah, we're thinking about, we, we're going to go into e-commerce, but that's like three years away. Yeah. And I'm like, three years away? It's 2020 I had this conversation, uh, you know. Can can that even be allowed to, to say that? And what I'm hearing is that the same um, arguments that were in the fashion industry in like end of end of uh, end of the aughts in a way when sort of e-commerce started to become a thing and the brands were really afraid to scare off their wholesale uh, uh, customers. Now, having said that, I you know also think when it, just e-commerce is just as you said, I think that's 1.0 in, in, a, in a kind of sort of digital transformation. That's just that's just one part of it, you know, communicating directly with your audience, um, selling directly to your audience, which I think sort of the fashion and design industry are similar in that way, because they are even like even here in Sweden, we have we have this old tradition of manufacturing, like even we had we had we had the the old companies making suits down in, in, in Boruas, like uh, the, the turn of the last century. So there's a, there's a long tradition of manufacturing in the south of Sweden. So these are companies that some of them have been around for a very long time. Um, obviously, their business has been to sell to the stores, the wholesalers, the, the retailers. So that has been uh, the way they structure the company, the way they structure their, their thing. This is very macro, uh, obviously. But I think it's interesting to do, just take a step back and look at where they're coming from because... If you have an industry that for a hundred plus years have have you know the the core of their organization and core of their their you know their goings about is producing uh, stuff that they sell to other stores, which means the stores are their customers. So it's kind of like in the macro, it's it's pretty new for fashion. It's it's still new. I see this struggle still at fashion brands, but they have at least like a you know a decade head start for the design industry. But it's really um, something unusual for them to communicate directly to the customer, Absolutely. Uh, which I think is fascinating because that and you see the the, the you know the, the the brands that I think we both think about that are have you know have uh, adapted to social media and all these new platforms are the ones that have been founded within the last five to ten years. 
Um, do, you, do you agree to this uh, I analysis? I totally agree, a hundred percent. And I also think that when it comes to design brands, the struggle is, as opposed to fashion, is that a lot of them don't quite know who their audience is digitally because they are used to, you know, a structure of a sales representative and B2B business uh, and stores and, you know, showrooms and whatnot. So they kind of can't grasp what is their audience online and perhaps what is like always my reflection uh, when I have this kind of conversation with brands is are you you know if you are talking with uh, you know 50 year old onwards and neglecting the the 40 year olds or the 30 year olds not mm. all of them are gonna have the buying power right now but you know the moment in which they're gonna uh, switch to buying a home or want something a little bit more long lasting they're gonna you you're gonna have to be top of mind so you can't just focus on the customer that you know you have right now but you also have to talk to to one that is going to be yours eventually you know hopefully right right no to, to talk talk more about that you know is is there um um is there a lack of perspective? Is it a lack of foresight in a way? Uh. Uh, I would say yes. And also not really, you know, being uh, the design industry is not really known for being forward uh, thinkers. And as you mentioned earlier, with the That's amazing to me that and... you can even say that. That's how, how you mean that's this is really sort of part <laughs> of the problem. I'm sorry, I'm getting so excited about this. You know, we're talking about industry with designers, and and to me, this is you know that goes into my love for this industry because designers are the one who's supposed to set the direction of the future. That's why they're called mm -hmm. designers. They're creating something out of nothing, and there's and there there are so many creative and thoughtful people, you know, available. And I think definitely both sort of in the more older generations, but also in in the more upcoming ones. So I think there's a, maybe I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I just feel like there's there needs to be some kind of um, perspective shift in the yes. the roles that they have, uh, you know, in our lives, where where you if you are a very design driven industry, we actually define the industry as design. That's why we call it. So it seems yes. like they they they're they're sort of uh, they're not delivering on the the <laughs> on their job yeah. in a way. And I think that designers within a company, they are the ones who are supposed to bring culture at the forefront for the brand to understand. Uh, but I think that right now, somehow, uh, you know, within the brands, there's so much uh, uh, politics involved, whether we want to admit it or not, that uh, brands themselves don't give that kind of uh, uh, allowance to the designer mm. to do that kind of job. Uh, so culture ends up being in the back burner. And so um, design brands struggle to stay relevant and, you know, uh, have in any shape or form a forward thinking approach. It's always trying to catch up with whatever is happening. And then, you know, the feeling that everybody has is that they kind of like look at each other and see what they're kind of doing. So try to stay all on the same level. Mm. without having really any innovation uh, some of them sure I don't want to you know <laughs> make uh, wide assumptions uh, but uh, technological advancement in some of these brands has been in the means of production uh, 
uh, or has been uh, in in logistics and you know um, uh, renewable sources of energy uh, and things like that, but not really at the core. How do we design? Uh, how do we work with our designers? Where is culture playing a role in all of this, and ultimately, like communication? I want to I want to talk about uh, innovation and and sort of mm. you know where things are going in terms of uh, you know just like the the latest advancement in, in NFTs and and all that and where the designing plays in. Ooh, but, uh, hot topic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little teaser for uh, you know ten or fifteen minutes from now. But I want to talk about um, just before you mentioned that we've talked about the status of the designer, and uh, this could be a good uh, place to uh, just briefly touch upon your own background because you are from Italy. And my question is: uh, Is do you think the designer has a different status in Italy than than in the Nordics? Oh yes. Like what happens in Italy is that designers are surrounded by entourages. So when you see them walking, you see them walking with an aura of people around them. They are kind of put at, you know, on top of a pedestal and they can do no wrong. Uh, so, I mean, uh, because of the, the heritage and the history, design hasn't always been so exclusive. It, it like a lot like, you know, perhaps like Scandinavian culture as well. You've lived with design from early on in life. You didn't know that that thing was design because it was just the, the process of uh, coming up with products that would better someone's life. So you didn't have that design definition on top of like products. So, you know, if you think about uh, the altos and how they approach design and product production was to, you know, embellish uh, the function uh, and ultimately make a product more, you know, beautiful, but its form had to be functional. Then with the years, what happened in Italy is that design started to be exclusive. Prices started going uh, up and, the designer had become, you know, the god of the industry. And a lot right. of the times uh, the brand is outshadowed by the designer. So then, like, just a few days ago, I was having this conversation on Clubhouse that what's happening is that in fashion, this thing doesn't happen. In design, it does happen. That the same art director can be the art director of you know, nameless companies, which in fashion doesn't happen. And in design, the only reason why it can happen is because the designer is more important than everything else uh, mm. around it, um, which is also like not the best <laughs> to have the same art director, uh, you know, work in so many companies. So to talk to me, I mean, just give, give the listeners here a rundown of, of your own mm -hmm. uh, sort of trajectory in the design industry and, and how you got from, from Italy to, to Gothenburg, Sweden. Yeah. Um, I, well, where do we start? Let's make it like a short version. Um, I started by being very passionate about uh, photography and especially like photography for interiors. So back in, so after having studied media and communication, 
because I thought that I wanted to be in advertisement. Uh, I moved to New York in 2008 to um, do a master's degree in filmmaking. Uh, but I had to pay bills. So on top of working at coffee shops, I used to um, uh, work as a photographer for small publications and do their interior pictures. Uh, so slowly, doing that kind of work, uh, I got to know a lot of people within the design industry back in the US and started really like understanding a little bit more of production and a bit more of, yeah, you know, why are prototypes not supposed to be photographed in one way and, and another. And then fast forward that to 2011 when Instagram kind of like uh, started. And I started with it uh, because I immediately embraced the medium and started uh, posting a lot of interior related content. And in 2014, um, I actually got, uh, I was in Berlin uh, for my own uh, personal reasons. And uh, I met with Petrus uh, from uh, HEM uh, and uh, uh, like the, the photographer who was working on the photo shoot, which at the time wasn't even called HEM yet. Uh, yeah, so this, and this we started... design company startup and Petrus was then, had he left, he was at Formas with Love, one of the founders of Formas with Love design studios. Yeah, uh, yes. And uh, basically he had left uh, and started, uh, uh, there, there was like this merger between one Nordic furniture company and right. uh, which he had co-founded. Uh, and uh, uh, um, an e-commerce brand called Fab. Um, so then I worked for them as a freelancer a little bit. And then after like a few months, we really clicked. And basically I <laughs> went my way up to becoming their head of creative. So we were really early on. Pedrus was amazing into... Uh, giving me, uh, you know, a blank uh, slate and embraced really early on all of the social media um, campaigns that we started running. So we started doing uh, product placement in the form of uh, interior stories when that was still like really, uh, really new. So at the time I would go uh, to, you know, like... Uh, friends that I had met through Instagram and, you know, people that I had um, had the chance of meeting through all of these shoots and asked them, hey, like you have a beautiful home. Uh, you need a table. I saw that. How about we collaborate? Mm. Uh, and that's how I started. And then um, a few years later, the kind of like mediatic attention that I got through working there uh, has led to... Um, opening my own studio through which then I started working with a lot of brands uh, independently right right so going from it's it's, it's quite a, a windy road across the globe mm -hmm. uh, ending up in the, <laughs> the north of Sweden um, um, so, so going back to sort of what you've seen globally I'm, I'm curious um, you just mentioned the, the role of the designer in, in Italy mm -hmm. um, are there other observations or learnings you've had from your work in New York or in Germany um, what are the differences between these these regions would you say it's I know it's a broad question but just just any no, observation but would be interesting 
There are some, I think, like dots that one can connect. Uh, what I've seen from working in the US is that uh, people are much more, uh, they understand uh, design brands, but the very big mainstream ones. Yeah. Uh, so of course they will know Vitra, Herman Miller, they will know these like very big uh, players, but they kind of like, they're not so very well aware of all of uh, all the other brands. They might know, they might recognize that Sofa, but they don't necessarily know who Sofa is uh, from and who's designed it. That has been changing through the years uh, and it's quite like mind blowing to see that, uh, you know, uh, New York didn't have a design week until probably like five, seven years ago with Design Wanted and uh, the furniture fair, it's not really, you know, that well established. Um, so it, it's a very different approach as, com as opposed to Italy or the Nordics where, you know, we're all very well aware of the brands. Um, so I would say, yeah, that's the biggest difference. Uh, you know, that's this is slightly move into the area of technology and, and adaptation. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you see these uh, countries are? I think are, are we we're, we're kind of sitting here complaining about the design industry where they are in terms <laughs> of uh, adaptation, but in terms of like comparing different regions, where do you think the Nordics sit compared to like Italy or Middle Europa or or, or the US? Uh, I think that the biggest pro that the US has when it comes to design is that they're not afraid of embracing uh, technology. Like a lot mm. of them are, uh, e they have an e-commerce platform. They have their logistics set up and they are not afraid of that. If we look at, you know, yeah, I don't want to make specific examples, but uh, when it comes instead to Italy, they are at the opposite end of the spectrum. If a brand has like a, a website in which you can actually see product details, is like the holy, you know, the holy grail. Um, but when it comes to the Nordic, you guys know how to brand. Like you know how to do branding and position yourself. But technology is like nowhere near any. No, it's I just just a casual observation. But my my uh, uh, I have two brothers who live in the states, and I, my parents for a brief while, uh, I think they wanted to become sort of Florida retirees. Uh, so they they lived in Florida for a few years. Uh, they you know luckily came back, uh, but but uh, so when they were living there and they were ordering furniture to their uh, house. They actually you I can't remember the name of the service, but I remember very clearly they used the service and. Um, you know, a few days later, a truck rolled up outside their house. It was branded with the same sort of e-commerce website, which they had ordered it. Uh, two guys jumped out in, in sort of, again, the same brand of t-shirt. They carried all the stuff into the house, assembled it, were really nice. They obviously super service uh, um, uh, drilled in a way, and then they were sort of out of there. And maybe that's kind of like a you know Amazonification of, of the furniture industry, but I've never seen anything like that in 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 Europe even yeah. with that level of, of service uh, from sort of e-commerce you know in, into assembly. 
uh, uh, services at the forefront of everything. Like a bad customer review uh, could, you know, lead to a spiral of nonsense. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that they really see the potential of how, you know, from the moment in which you are on the website, they curate the experience until the product being in your home, which I think for like European based um, brands, it, it's very hard to, first of all, what happens is that it's, Europe is big. And of course, now if you take into account how, you know, Brexit with the UK and how like the logistic uh, uh, challenges of European brands are selling throughout Europe. If we look at, you know, the data, uh, some countries like Germany, for instance, because I used to live five years in Berlin before I moved here to Gothenburg, they are still quite... Um, I wouldn't say like afraid, but skeptic uh, in buying furniture online. Uh, so there are these challenges in Europe, which are not uh, in, present in the US. Um, and that, you know, makes easy decisions if you can, you know, make your buying uh, um, experience the most seamless as possible. Like, why should mm. you have any friction between finding, visualizing the furniture in your home, which a lot of those uh, American companies offer. So you download the app, you see it, and the AI is, uh, you know, has made huge steps uh, through the years. Um, when we are still like, okay, wait, first let's see where our customer is and if we can deliver then we see everything else. I think also my observation from the US was fascinating to see uh, that there were so many uh, big retail stores, brands, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, manufacturing companies that, you know, uh, people in Europe have never heard of. Yeah. So I guess, you know, furniture, obviously huge, big, clunky products. It's, it's less, uh, you know, uh, less easily moved around the earth so i think fashion has become if you go to to a high street in in new york and a high street in london you will see pretty much the same types of brands by now whereas in in the furniture industry it's still sort of these these different ecos ecosystems uh, and that was also fascinating just just as an uh, observation uh but but in terms of um go going into the issue of of sustainability uh, what, what, what challenges do you see and, and what, what needs to be done? What are the next steps that, that, that brands need to focus on? A lot has to do, of course, with production, because a lot of them, uh, you know, uh, the user has become accustomed to the lead times that are four to, let's say, eight weeks at the maximum. Mm. So I think that now unless you want you know an off-the-shelf product delivered to you within three business days um, people have become more familiar with those longer lead times and that should bring the reflection from you know uh, brands whether or not you need to uh, estimate uh, the kind of the amount you're going to be produced versus producing when the request comes in um, and that is like a big part. And together with that, I think, you know, um, the energy and the packaging 
are very very big uh, points because a lot of the times um, you know furniture gets wrapped in a whole lot of plastic and you know bubble wrap and you know those uh, chips and so it, you know it takes like a whole the whole brand to actually from production factory manufacturing how do you do the R&D to actually become uh, sustainable some brands have done huge steps, gone completely um, with renewable energy, uh, taking away plastic, producing uh, when uh, requested, but the big bulk still, it's still, you know, far behind. And that, of course, is a matter of cost because it's very expensive to make those kind of changes. It might sound very stupid, but, you know, the, pla the plastic uh, tape, um, switching to paper solution, it's not that cheap. Right, right. And where do you see, where, you know, is, is there, a, going back to our, our, our mm. initial conversation, where do you see, uh, what's the level of discussion around these uh, things? Uh, because I think, you know, the word, the word sustainability is obviously, I, think, I don't think you can have a brand today without sort of uh, finding some way of, of, of incorporating that word into your, your vocabulary. But what's the state of this discussion in the design industry or furniture industry today? I think that individually each brand has started to have these discussions internally. And this is kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning. If, you know, the people within the industry started talking a little bit more openly with each other <clears throat> we could kind of together find like solutions uh, instead of just you know focusing so much on the individual brand but i think those are discussions that are being held everywhere um, and perhaps it's just a matter of you know who has how many resources financially speaking to make the changes True, true. I want to talk about um, just just briefly the the definitions here, and and uh, you know, since Scandinavian Mind, we sort of covered different areas, ranging from from fashion to beauty to, to design and, and mobility and, and, and tech and so forth. Um, something that I'm I'm pondering these days is is I think a lot about uh, you know in, within fashion, for instance, what is what is fashion. Uh, I try to define the, the terms in a way, and I, I always ask uh, my, my podcast guests uh, on this as well. We had uh, Dr. Philip Varkanda, who's a lecturer at Lund University, on the podcast the other week, and he talked about uh, sort of fashion being this um, curiosity in culture, and, and the, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a lachmus test on, on where we are as, 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 uh, as, as people. Um, so I think fashion has a even though there's a clothing manufacturing industry uh, beneath it, I think the word fashion has a, has a sort of a more uh, intricate um, role in, in society. How do you see, do you, do you, do you view uh, the, the, the design world, the interior design world as this in the same way? Is, is, is it a level of fashion within the design world? Uh, this is sort of semantics, I know, but because but but you're 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 our new editor at large for communications. So I thought it would be interesting to discuss. So, because uh, I think the word, you know, what's in the word design, for instance, how do we define that? I, I'm, how do you, how do you see this? I think if we look back 
you know, at the, let's say, at the history a little bit. And we yeah. look at, I don't know, architects that made a dent into the industry and whatnot. I think at the core, there should be the, uh, the, the will to have a product, an object that, uh, you know, improves the quality of living uh, for people and ultimately be accessible to everyone or, you know, to a big chunk of people. But design has become a lot about status. It has become a lot about fashion. And the word trends has played, you know, a huge uh, role into it as well. So I would say it has a little bit less to do with curiosity and more to do with uh, belonging, uh, like cultural belonging, I would say. Signaling. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So, so that's that's interesting. Uh, just another example I want to pull up from from another industry, and I, I thought I would be curious to see how you react on it. I was talking to uh, the CEO of uh, Lincoln Co., the, the mm -hmm. uh, Gothenburg-based mobility mm -hmm. company, and he was talking about it's, it was a reflection that really stuck with me. Is that you know he's been working in the car industry for thirty years. Uh, and the way he saw it was there's there was a new sort of mobility industry uh, you know uh, entering the 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 in people's minds where we see sort of companies like Uber and and Voy and and we see there's there's another perspective on how we get around. So so his his reflection was if the car industry is not careful, it will it will become just a supplier to a new mobility industry. So there's sort of like a new layer on top of it. And I think this is interesting for all these. And I think perhaps we're moving into the discussion on the digital right now. Um, you know, we, we're talking about industries that has been firmly rooted in the physical. So we've seen the car industry. Uh, we've seen, you know, fashion where, where it's physical garments and clothes. We see, you know, design, you know, objects that improve our lives or, or you know, are, are part of our, our surroundings. Um, is there a similar trajectory in in the design and furniture industries? Is there a new layer of I don't know I guess living or something like that? Some some kind of new more intangible industry emerging that that the sort of uh, furniture industry will be a supplier of. I I think so. I think that there's gonna be. You know, perhaps if we refer back to the, you know, 1.0 versus 2.0, yeah. uh, probably would take like two decades before we get to, you know, uh, a visible shift. But the shift nonetheless is going to be there. And, mm. you know, if we look at how the pandemic has affected the way we live, uh, the way we work uh, and the way we we spend time at home and what we do when we are at home. We're gonna, like, if we're going to continue living our homes uh, the way we did, I'm sure that in the same way there is rent a runway, there is gonna be, you know, rent the furniture where, you know, you can actually decide 
to have uh, a costly, let's look at sofas, which, you know, usually are the most expensive pieces yeah. of furniture. Uh, you know, why should you buy a 13, 14,000 euro sofa uh, and have it for the rest of your life instead of, you know, having it uh, for chunks of your time and constantly like upgrade your interior? Because not all countries have the kind of like secondhand culture that at least Scandinavian has. Um, and I'm so excited to see if there is anyone who's gonna embrace, you know, the digital world. Uh, you know, you briefly mentioned the NFTs before, but what is the design furniture going to do in that regard? And since we are kind of like abandoning a little bit status uh, when it comes to, you know, having physical belongings versus uh, digital ones, furniture is gonna, and the design industry is gonna have like a huge shift in this regard this is fascinating to me I, I need to look into this are there are there examples I, I i only have one example that comes to mind like during some sometime during the pandemic i think it was last summer i was exposed to an ad by a swedish company um on instagram mm -hmm. uh that was selling kind of um they were they were targeting uh, uh, businesses, and they were offering to uh, lease or rent out uh, furniture to bring to their employees' homes, which I thought was a an interesting take on it. So, but but the business model was not, I mean, obviously for a company to buy new furniture for every every employee could be like this huge investment. You don't even know how how long they are going to stay at home and and how many of them. But so they they had deliberately done this sort of rent uh, or lease uh, concept and I also see, one, like, an, another reflection just before you I want to hear your take on it is you know also I think like young people I mean young people I, I you know my stepdaughter is in her early early 20s she she you know she doesn't live you know I think now she's bought an apartment she will stay in for a long time but she's been hopping around right she's like bought a new sofa for every apartment she's been in and like that's insane uh, and to, to buy this expensive furniture because the, they have to fit in a certain angle or corner of, of, of these the small apartments. So, but have you seen any observations uh, of, of, of are other companies doing this? I think that uh, there, there's, if we look at the office uh, and uh, B2B aspect, many brands have already been doing that. Mm. You, instead of, uh, you know, big name brands, they have uh, given the possibility of uh, two startups, offices and businesses alike to rent desk uh, chairs and whatever mm -hmm. uh, so that you can enlarge or shrink uh, the, the amount of furniture um, based on how many people you hire or uh, you know you work with. So that has been something that it has been going on for many, many years. But we were not, let's say, so open about it because between the two, since there is not, um, let's say, a formula or a sustainable model yet, um, brands have uh, favorited, you know, buy and then sell secondhand. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but when it comes to, of course, like furniture to private, the logistical aspect is going to be like a nightmare. So I'm glad I'm not the one who has to find a solution for it. <laughs> um, but I have been like in, in the shoes of your stepdaughter. 
I had uh, everywhere moved and I moved uh, uh, quite a lot, New York, London, Berlin, uh, Stockholm, Gothenburg. Uh, I've had to, some pieces of furniture I had with me throughout the whole time, uh, every move, but those were, you know, few key selected pieces that I wouldn't, you know, if the fire, the, 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 the house uh, uh, turns uh, on fire, I would grab those. Um, but in any other apartment, I had to find uh, furniture pieces that were for that space and not that I had carried around. Uh, so I think that is going to bring, if brands can figure out a way to, you know, uh, monthly subscriptions and, you know, things like that, uh, together with very long lasting pieces that, you know, mm. if we look at uh, wooden tables that can be re-oiled and sanded mm. and, you know, restained. Um, those are going to be, I think, the solutions for the future. I, I, it is fascinating. I think it's good to sort of throw around different concepts mm -hmm. here. And I think every, every topic we're t touching upon here is, is, a, is a future podcast or clubhouse session or article or something. So I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really enjoying to, to view this conversation as a starting point. But, but you know, I guess just another reflection from the, the, the fashion industry. I think we're also seeing a, this sort of hybrid a model emerging where um, I think we're going to see a rise of sort of uh, renting pieces. Um, you know, obviously with, with, with fashion, if you go to a wedding or a big party or something like that, you want to rent like a super expensive designer piece. You don't want to buy it for 2000 euros or something. Uh, but, but you want to look nice in it. And I think with, 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 the, uh, with the interiors, we're going to see the same thing. There are some sort of, sort of basic furniture that, that, uh, that, that you can dispose of or, or just, you know, interchange or have some kind of a recurring revenue subscription model to. There are some pieces that that just part of your identity, you're inherited from your grandmother or you bought when you got married or something. That's like, those are going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Uh, and then there's this issue, I think, of recycling, of buying, uh, you know, a, a previously owned uh, goods. Um, we're seeing that moving into, uh, I think that's going to be a fixed part of, of any, any um, retail experience. I think just completely different, just observation. The, I think yesterday, the, uh, there's, a, the, there's an e-commerce uh, around menswear called Care of Carl that just put out a sort of a pre-owned section of their website. So it's, it's pretty easy to say that, you know, a forward thinking furniture company would have perhaps all these three elements of it. You have something sort of something that you can rent, something Absolutely. you can buy, something you can sort of uh, buy that's, uh, that's previously owned. Right. So this hybrid model, I think I hear the word hybrid more and more. Yes. I think that that's that's a perspective of thinking we have to apply. And it's also like in an industry like the design one where things have, there's so many preconceptions uh, of how things should be done. And so far the struggle has been to question those preconceptions because that's how it has always been. Uh, I think this is like a great time to make those reassessments and actually embrace uh, hybrid models. And hey, perhaps yeah. we're gonna uh, all go into like uh, designing our own digital homes and we're not gonna care at all about, you know, how we live. Uh, but that's uh, another speculation. Well, 
Well, let's uh, let's touch upon that because uh, you know the, the, before we move into that, just I had one other reflection I wanted to mention. That is, you know, I think I think a lot of people see if you look at sort of the mobility industry, uh, hotels. We've seen these industries being sort of upended by but one by one player. Sort of, sort of Uber takes over the taxi industry, and sort of Airbnb takes over the the hotel industry, or at least is, is you know larger than, than the industry as whole. I think it's it's kind of different for fashion and, and design and furniture because it's so it's more intrinsically uh, rooted in your identity and and sort of expression. So mm-hmm. whereas I think it's most of us can jump into an Uber, it's not like part of our identity. We don't have to order like a blue one or a pink one or and maybe that will come. But but I think generally we don't care. We just want to go to where we're going, right? But when it comes to design and fashion. Uh, you know, when it comes to identity and, and, and look and feel, um, that plays into it. So it's not obvious that one player is going to come in and, and you know, uh, you know, sw- swipe everything else under the rug in a, way, in a way. No pun intended. I can challenge this thought a little bit because I think that uh, when it comes to uh, mobility, we see it as a service. So. Yeah more than like the identity that we associate to it is uh, very marginal compared to uh, f- furniture or, or fashion. Um, and we see it as more than, what does it say about ourselves? That we value our time, therefore I call an Uber. Or that, you know, I'm forward thinker, so I join Lincoln Co versus owning a car on my own. Um, so it says like something about yourself, but not so much. It's not the expression of personality, but uh, yeah, I'm going to say this to a Swede. Ikea has become the Uber for a specific market, a specific segment, whether we like share the, uh, the concept or not, Ikea has done that for, you know, very specific segment. I'm not sure that as a design industry, uh, as a whole, there's gonna be like one player, but perhaps there's gonna be like one player for specific segments of, of right. the market and for specific, you know, audiences. That's interesting. So let's talk, <laughs> let's talk digital. Uh, you know, the, we, we're recording this on, on uh, March 18. We're going to publish it uh, in, in a few days next week on Wednesday. So uh, um, I think, you know, the last week we've seen the, 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 the auction of, of this, you know, the, this artwork, this JPEG that was uh, $70 million. Uh, uh, but we've also seen a few examples from uh, the furniture uh, space where where furniture has been sold as NFTs, these non-fungible uh, uh, tokens, uh, for qu- quite a lot of uh, money actually. Um, wh- I'm I'm sure you've you've uh, curiously watched this. What have you seen? Uh, what do you think of it? Oh, like I'm all over it. Uh, I find it so exciting that I can barely you know stay a few hours without looking at the news and checking again. Uh, it was quite fascinating to see that the the 3D furniture that was uh, sold were by this uh, 3D uh, visual artist who has come up with these 10 um, digital furniture pieces. 
uh, and they were sold for $450,000, which was like, psh, like crazy. No designer uh, has ever made that kind of money. Maybe a yeah, few exceptions with royalties over, you know, probably decades, but no designer has made that for 10 uh, 3D renderings. Not in one occasion uh, no. as a living designer. No. No, 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 absolutely not. And of course, designers, the let's say the old school ones, are going to, you know, be revolted at the NFTs and they're going to be, you know, reclaiming their power. And who are these people to talk about design and furniture, which, of course, is going to be in my, at least in my thoughts, is going to be exactly the same thing as film photographers versus digital photographers. The old school ones were uh, revolted by who are these guys who like click click and the photo is on like magazines versus the ones who actually embraced the medium and went went on with it. So I'm really super interested to see if designers who are already working with 3D modeling because a lot of the uh, brands they work with require some sort of like photorealistic rendering uh, right. of their design before it goes in even into R&D like that is a, really at the beginning so are they gonna put those products on an NFT platform or are they gonna embrace um, this new technology uh, very interesting and I'm also really interested to see how you know brands are going to uh, collaborate with these 3D designers? Are, is, is a brand going to like jump on board and ask a designer to come up with like uh, a collaboration just for the sake of the NFT? And what are they going to do with the money? I'm really, really interested. <laughs> there's, there's so many opportunities here. And I think maybe perhaps this could be one of those mm -hmm. things that sort of, sort of uh, jumps the shark in a way and, and you know boosts the design industry from from barely 1.0 to something 3.0 at least parts of it i, I think that could be there's, there's a real opportunity here if you can i mean because one of the most fascinating aspects of uh, these nfts uh, and they're based on these sort of uh, you know blockchain technologies that you can see in a ledger who has owned it previously so there's like a history of of the object and, and there's even if you're early on in this uh, History, you can perhaps get a get a, like a fee for any every time it it's it's like it changes royalties. ownership. Yeah, like royalties. But I, I I view this as really fascinating in terms of you know the status of uh, the designer. So going back to to, to that, um, you know you know fashion it, it's so much about culture. We talked about you know design also being part of part of sort of the status signaling and and so forth. I mean. We and I'm sure we, we know people who are sort of collecting old pieces of furniture or the mid-century modern or the Anna Jakobsens or whatever it is that's, that goes back to history and there's a certain status to owning a piece that has a long history. I just see a, a, a whole different level of, of credibility um, uh, emerging here. So if let's say there's the, the next generation Tom Dixon coming out or, or whatever artist or, or Lafer Eliasson or someone like this, this 3D artist you mentioned, you know, being early on, being able to say to your um, uh, peers or the people around you, I was like number three on this object. I was early on. I, I, was, I, was, I was an early adopter here. 
I think that could be a, a fascinating uh, a new sort of hier hierarchy in, in this sort of you know chase for status. Uh, I also find it really interesting if, if there's a way to link an NFT to a physical object. So you actually have both in a way. So you, you kind of get the, the digital version, but you also have the, I don't know, the, you know, you know what, Mark Newson who do these sort of really expensive, elaborate sort of art furniture pieces. Uh, maybe there's like a, a, a dual thing happening. I haven't seen that yet, but um, that could be interesting. Absolutely. But like, for instance, the, the 3D artist that sold the 10 pieces for 450,000, uh, one or two pieces are going to be actually produced by uh, someone. And like another piece, uh, if I'm not uh, remembering uh, incorrectly, has been acquired by a design museum. Um, right. So it, it's, you know, it's all up and coming and it's up to the people who embrace the technology. And, you know, of course, now there's going to be lots of hype around it, especially the last few weeks. And I mean, if we look at Christie's going on board, like, come on, it, the hype is going to be huge. Uh, right. So slowly, perhaps in the next year or two, we're going to see, you know, the shortcomings of it. And we're going to see how if without uh, all of the network around the design industry, uh, the same goes with fashion, without the gallerist and the curator and this and that, has the designer uh, a vision strong enough to talk instead of the journalist who needs to push him or, you know, all of these kind of uh, uh, very physical dynamics that uh, go in play. Who is your publicist? and? because we're not going to need that. So I'm really, really, really interested to see how this develops. No, for sure, there's going to be a backlash. I mean, I, I think it's only fair to to, to uh, assess that. I'm already getting sort of spammed with sort of Instagram, like digital artists wanting to pitch me NFTs. I only did 250 of these sort of pixelated animals. I got, I got it last night. I thought it was okay. This now is already going down in a way. But I think if you look at sort of the blockchain technology, Bitcoin, obviously, that has had, you know, four or five different eras of backlash. If you look in the macro, it is still growing. So I don't see NFTs, yeah. uh, uh, you know, disappearing anytime soon. Yeah. I think it's a new landscape. It will definitely change the way we view ownership and the way we view um, these cultural objects uh, in our lives. And I think it's fascinating to see that maybe we can just view that the physical object in the future will just be a manifestation of something that exists in the digital. So the digital will be the, the, the primary ownership of something will be digital. And maybe you have like, you, you know, you, you buy something that's of this 3D artist um, and you have like several copies in your homes all around the world. I'm, I'm sure there are like uh, mm -hmm. Tommy Hilfiger type Absolutely. personalities that's five homes. They want, they want the same piece. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, the, the way they perhaps have a copy of the favorite uh, books around every house or something. That's just an observation. Um, we, we are, uh, 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 you know, moving across the hour mark here and I, I just want to wrap up. Uh, but so one of the things we've decided to do together, Elenia, which I'm really excited about, and I just want to touch it. We've mentioned the, 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 the phenomena of Clubhouse several times during this conversation. And the idea here is, is uh, you know, obviously you're going to be a writer for Scandinavian Mind, but also uh, help lead this, these Clubhouse sessions that we've started doing. 
so I just, you know, b before we talk about what we're going to do, just what's your observation with, with Clubhouse? Uh, you know, how do you view it? You're, you're, you're all over it, I see. I find it fantastic. It's, uh, it's really actually been a great tool to have uh, authentic conversations. And it kind of like opened up these doors for communicating within the industry as it uh, as it never happened uh, so like i've i've hosted already like few rooms where i've had uh, from the the owner of the company to the uh, pr to the designer themselves and it's quite fascinating to have all of these people talk to each other and kind of like moderate uh, where the conversation goes and see how sometimes they all have, you know, a similar point of view, but they had not expressed that before. Uh, or how, you know, uh, just a few days ago, we were talking about uh, uh, how like, do journalists want to receive the news? Is it through like a two hour Zoom call or is it through like, you know, a press release or those kind of things that until now we were not even questioning. So right. it's been really great. Uh, but of course, there's still quite some resistance into the people um, from uh, the design industry who are like, OK, this is yet another social media that we have to spend time on. So, yeah, for sure. Highs and, and lows. And, and, highs and lows, and and you know, I, I I've had for the past week, I've sort of uh, had a sort of a hiatus. I, I haven't been on it as much, maybe because in the beginning I was on it all the time. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to to the uh, sort of frustration of, of my family. Uh, but but I you know I, I see the same thing. I see it as a as a great tool for for communicating. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a, a format for sure that will exist uh you know it's going to be part of the the social media landscape but you know obviously we're seeing already twitter and, and i think facebook doing similar um uh services so perhaps it will be more like a, a format like stories that that exists on all yeah. all the platforms uh, but i'm it gives me hope in a way that that conversation is has become part of of the social media landscape because where you know the written word is so easily uh, it's so easy to hide behind it. It's also easy to you know create these bots and stuff that that just just uh, uh, flood the networks. Whereas with with audio, it's harder to do that. It's harder to fake it. You know, I'm, I'm voice, and I know it exists. So it's probably going to come robots. You know, flooding these <laughs> these rooms yeah. as well. But it it feels like it's a few years out. And it's also like I feel as opposed to a panel where you have the time to reflect and come up with your own opinion and lay it out in the most politically correct way. These conversations, because they are so casual and raw, they uh, don't, they, they are just a means for being, you know, on the spot and so very hard to, you know, come up with these uh, politically correct answers or even like, in my case, to, uh, you know, be true to your personality and the way you talk with the people in the industry, uh, as opposed to how you communicate via email or via, you know, Instagram, which we are all building these personas 
uh, and you know, edit, re-edit, re-edit. What is it that we want to show? And mm. then it ends up on Instagram being the extra super most polished version of ourselves where there's, you know, 5% personality and the rest is branding. <laughs> on Clubhouse, it's like, here you go. Here's, you know, raw uh, <laughs> X and Y. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, so we're, we're recording this on, on March 18th and we're going to publish it on March 24th. And on March 30th, we're going to host our first uh, uh, Clubhouse session uh, together. Uh, uh, so, Elena, you're going to make your premiere as a, as a host for a Scandinavian Mind uh, Clubhouse room. And we're going to play around. We're still trying to find the format here. I think Tuesdays, you've been working with Tuesdays. I think that could be a good spot. We've had Fridays before. Uh, what do you hope to achieve with these uh, rooms together with Scandinavian Mind? I hope to bring, uh, you know, to spark some interesting conversations and reflections around the design uh, and communication topics. Uh, they, it, it doesn't get boring and I hope that we can bring up people that come from all different backgrounds of these industries and actually share with us their points of view and actually even, you know, uh, put a few little bits of controversy here and there to, to, you know, to ask questions and see and question things. So I'm really excited about these. They're very, let's say, energy draining because you can't hide behind, you know, a script or uh, take your time to answer, but they're also so super interesting. Right. Um, right. So really excited about that. So also we'll see. I'm I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to be recorded. I'm sure. I mean, you can by yourself mm -hmm. record it. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see if that's an option or or if it's it really the 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 the, the you know benefits of it is the fact that it it only exists in the now. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Elenia, is there something you want to add before we, we wrap this up? Is there some thought or, or, or something I missed to bring up? No, I'm sure we could talk for more hours, but <laughs> for today it's been a great conversation. Absolutely, and I really look forward pushing the industry forward uh, together with you. Uh, this has been a conversation with Elenia Martini, founder and visual uh, uh, of, of the, the visual communications agency Nenny and the new editor at large for design and communication for Scandinavian Mind. Welcome, Elenia, and thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, and looking forward to it all. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement.